Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You ready, Carlos? I am. All right, here we go. Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, we have a doozy this week, don't we? A doozy? Is it 1930? I'm trying to use expressions that are no longer used. That's my goal. <laughs> I mean, as long as they're okay, you know, right? As long as they don't come from a place of, of trauma and pain and so forth. Uh, they have to be approved by Anjanette. She's, uh, she's got a list of on her desk, and that's, you know, so many approved, you know, phrases we can use. I think no, doozy no, like, is in there. I, I think doozy's okay. Speaking of which, uh, I, in, in, if I can thank my kids for this, and I try to keep up with this on myself, and you adjust, and, but um, there was a house that was built not too far from where I live recently, and I said, oh, I bet that that master bedroom, whatever, and my son stopped me and said, no, 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 we don't see a master bedroom anymore. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and it makes sense because of the history of the phrase and where it came from, and so what do you use now? Master. What, what, how do you uh, replace it? I'm not sure. You can just say uh, bedroom with a bathroom or maybe just bedroom. I don't know. Math. Huh. See, I was about to say it again. Bedrooms, main bedrooms, whatever you want to say, right? Main they're bedroom. Too, okay. They're yeah. they're too big anyway. Are they? Can you have too big of a room? I mean, you're sleeping in there. What else are you doing in there? You're changing, well, I, you, you, you're changing I guess. What else are you doing just not in the bed? You can have a chair. You can have a little footstool where you put your shoes on you can have and don't forget nowadays with the pandemic right you need more workspace you need more office space because you really want to have home. your computer or laptop or whatever uh that close to your bed i have to my wife has she uses our office uh, our basement office so i've been kicked out of there and i gotta i gotta set up a little uh, desk in our bedroom so it's, it's wow no wonder that explains a, that explains a lot well, try the kitchen <laughs> table man come on you the need kitchen to get out table That's, that's psychosis inducing to have to be all yeah. Try the kitchen table. Listen, we have a very demanding, we have some demanding producers named Andrew Hammond and, and Carrie Jr. who will do will not like the acoustics in the kitchen. So I think that's forbidden. Well, and Anjana Delgado, who you know makes all this possible, probably doesn't like it that we're talking about what else happens in a bedroom. You know what I mean? She's got that, she's got the cough button, <laughs> as you say in the radio business. She's got the mute button ready. I think when you just said that right now, like the red bat phone on her desk just went off. And you think so? She's going to come popping through the screen, shutting us down. You watch. Well, I wanted to mention her, get it out of the way. We'll come back to her later, of course. We don't <laughs> want her to feel too. But uh, in any case, Carlos, look, we've got, uh, we got Lindsey Green coming up later in the show, our esteemed and uh, terrific food writer, restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press, who um, wrote about the James Beard award-winning patisserie called Waters Patisserie in Midtown. And uh, she was recognized nationally for the, for her baking. So we're going to have her on to talk about the significance of that award and uh, and uh, also her experience at Willow, a, a, a new restaurant, this relatively new restaurant in the city, and just whatever else y'all want to talk about with food. But uh, Carlos, before we get to that, we need to talk about Carlos. You've been you've, you've been, been waiting for this for weeks, so it, it's all yours, Sean. Sean, you set it actually, up. Set it up. Uh, actually, uh, we don't need to talk about Carlos. I just, um, you know, you and I. How about how about we set it up this way? You and I both wrote columns in the last few weeks 
where we included responses. Um, I think you included comments on a story, maybe, and I included some emails, whatever, whatever. That's not really the point, but that we included responses in our, we quoted um, reader reaction in our columns and um, yours were, you know, for very different reasons, but it just kind of got me to thinking about how we choose to write about it. Cause you know, I'm sure you get a lot, uh, you get people that are angry. I get people that are angry. Sometimes occasionally we get people that, that may have liked or agreed with what we wrote, but we, I, sometimes I know you do. Sometimes we get responses and people are just curious why we write the way we do, not write the way we do, but structurally, but why we choose the topics. And I know we can say Kirkland Crawford, the sports editor, we've talked about this with him because he fields calls sometimes about coverage and how we shift coverage and so on and so forth. And, you know, but like Michigan, Michigan State's a classic example of that. But but I just wanted to um, I wanted to start off with and we, we're going to hit a few topics as we go through this. We want to talk about A.J. Hinch and the contract, which is something you're working on. Um, I talked to Troy Weaver a little bit uh, before we recorded this, and I'm going to do something with that. So we'll, we'll talk about the business draft for a sec as we explore some of this. But I wanted to ask you how you kind of came up with that idea and why you felt, why you kind of broke the, the, the fourth wall. What, is, that, is, that the, is that the phrase? Kind of broke that. You, you, so. looked, you looked directly at the camera when you wrote that column, right, including the, re- the readers. So how did that come about and why did you, feel the need to talk to readers in that way and but and give some context too because it was about the lions yeah it was just uh the the idea of uh the column was just uh i think the the headline was something like why am i so negative or people say i'm so negative and they're right and uh the idea behind it was really um and the the phrase that you loved was i'm going to get into a little bit of the sausage making you know how we how we do what we do why we do what we do um and I think it's important to have a conversation with readers um, about this because there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of assumptions made about the media. Uh, you know, like you referenced with uh, why we cover things, and people always assume there's some agenda. You know, we love Michigan, or we hate Michigan State, or there's a blue wall, or you know, you hate the Lions, or you love the Tigers, or you know, whatever it might be. And I'm here to tell you right now, it's not, this isn't in the column. I'm here to tell you, ain't nobody got time for that. No one has the time to be sitting there twirling their mustache and coming up with agendas. And I'm not going to like this. And I'm not going to like that. You know, Um, are are there personal preferences? Uh, And I mentioned this in the column, you know, yeah, you, when you, when you like somebody, you're naturally going to sort of gravitate toward them, probably give them the benefit of the doubt. And as I mentioned in that column, Dan Campbell, this is what he's doing is he's, he's winning hearts and minds by being a nice guy, by being interesting, by helping us do our job, helping the media do their job. Um, and as an extension, he's connecting with fans that way because he's getting uh, nice things written about him. And uh, it's smart to do that. Um, but sometimes I think what happens in the past, not just with Campbell, but when you tend to be uh, a little more critical, let's say uh, someone, uh, which I freely admit, I tend to be on the critical side. I, I tend to be a little bit more of a cynic about things. Um, I don't just sort of accept what people say as the truth of that's okay. They said it. So that's the truth. I mean, people tend to have, you know, their perspective. Everybody has their perspective on whatever it is, why you signed a player, why you traded a player, 
you know, why we drafted T's Tabor. He's really slow. Yeah, but I watched more film on him than anybody I've ever watched. Okay, well, what does that mean? You know, so I, I, I prefer to kind of look at things through my own lens. And that sometimes means being a little bit more critical. But what happens in the sausage making part of the business sometimes is people don't want to push back. It's just, it's whether you're a journalist or just a normal person in everyday life, when you push back, you know, when you ask, when you challenge people, coaches, executives, players, whoever it is, uh, there can be a little bit of acrimony because they, they want what they say to be taken without question. And when you question things, sometimes it can get uncomfortable. And I think people in this business have a harder time with that in this time of social media, because anything you say uh, can get amplified on social media can be misconstrued. People, people jump on you, you know, and, and it's a good thing for readers and, and more people to have a voice in the process because for too long, it was just the media, just we write it's in the paper, send a letter to the editor or call the paper if you don't like it. And that's it. Uh, but now there is Twitter and there's good parts and bad parts of that. But, I, you know, sometimes I think I write something and it's like, that didn't feel negative to me. I, you know, it's bringing up some points, but by contrast, when no one else is willing to be negative, when no one else is willing to be critical and just kind of spout the company line, sometimes it looks like you've taken a step forward, you know, when everybody's either taking a step back or not moving at all. So, um, that's the part of it that, that can be a little bit challenging sometimes. Well, I mean, I, I mean, the thing about that, that column and not that we need to break that column way down that column in the, in the lines is that obviously almost everybody's critical about the lines that, but, but I want to go, I want to go a, a big picture a little bit. So back to your question about agenda. I mean, we do have an agenda. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. I mean, I, I, right. Let's we, we do. We, we want people to read. That's our agendas. We want people to read our stuff. Yeah. No, we do. We, we absolutely have an agenda. We're, we're a business as much as we get romantic about this business and think, you know, because it's tied up under the constitution, right? I mean, it says it literally in the constitution. Right? But be clear about that. Be clear about what, what it means that we want people to read us. No, 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 for sure. But I'm just saying, I, I think we, as journalists and maybe uh, obviously fewer and fewer people out there romanticize this business clearly, but, and that's been a trend for a long time now, but at least since probably Watergate. But in any case, when I say agenda, I mean, we want to, it's, there's a, a matter of self-preservation and that means a few different things. First of all, just as, as you and I, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, but we've both been around the business enough to know that we can probably say there are similar uh, thought patterns out there. The first thing we want to do is write something or report something. We, we, we want to be true and, and fair and all that, but just, we want to write something that's, that's, that's okay, right? That people will fo follow, that people will read, and you that will you will have them from one sentence to the next. Whenever I sit down to write, that I mean, I've thought that for thirty years. That if I can get somebody from the one sentence to the next sentence to the next sentence, then you're doing okay. So to me, that's the number one thing, right? You see the headline, and the headlines are hugely critical. They always have been, but never more critical than now. But so that's the first thing. The second thing is. Yeah, you you want to do a good job for the the paper or whatever outlet it is you're 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 working for, so that's part of it. And because of um, that, you have conversations all the time with editors about what people will read and what. And I mean, obviously, we have to think about what's important in the news, and that's maybe a little bit more important on the news side. 
where the sense of the public trust is a little bit different. But for us, Carlos, yeah, we do. We want to we, we want to survive, right? We're not looking for clickbait necessarily, but we but we want to survive. We want people to click. So yeah, we, we try to be interesting and thoughtful and thought-provoking and all that. And there's a fine line in there. Well, you know, to, to me, the, the, the biggest, one of my, probably maybe the biggest pet peeve I have in journalism is the, the phrase clickbait. People throw that around anytime that you write something that is, you know, uh, incendiary or different, that's clickbait. No, no, no. Clickbait is you get tricked into clicking in a, a link, whatever, and it has nothing to do with what that, you know, whatever woman sex, you know, world's sexiest woman, you know, whatever uh, on in sports, whatever. And it's just, that's garbage. Clickbait is garbage. It's not journalism. It's, it's there's nothing to it. That's what clickbait is. It's just, yeah, but bait, that's not what people mean and by switch. It. That's, but that's what they use it. Anytime they want to be critical of something that you write that they don't like, oh, that's just clickbait. No, no I, clickbait. I understand that, but there's also this idea that there are people out there. And, and I think this is true that write something and they may not believe it, but they understand it's going to cause a stir, right? I mean, maybe you say that person's an entertainer. That tends to be more true in broadcast and, analy- you know, talking head shows and so on. But that's it's not also, clickbait, though. But it's also true. But that's how people think of it. That may that's not be what, in your mind. Exactly. But that's, but that's how people think of it. That and that makes it real in a way. But right? that's it's wrong. Just because people have, you know, appropriated that word, it's not, it, it's a, it's denigrating I mean, you know, when, when, well, how is whoever, that wrong? No, that's like, cool. Cool means, oh yeah, oh, I'm chilly. And cool means Carlos, you're cool. I mean, I would never say that, but that, right. That means like, you're cool. Like you're, uh, you're hip, you're interesting. You're no, you're I mean, it's, chill. it's, it's, it's a way to, it's a way to denigrate something. And, 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 you know, that's the unfortunate part of social media is it's the, it's a culture of name calling, you know, it's just, what's the, what's the latest name we can come up with to call somebody or something and you know minimize it belittle it denigrate somebody clickbait okay no when there's when as you and i know sean any credible media outlet the time it takes to put something together to talk to people to interview them to go through the editorial process to have that published to have it edited all that stuff that's not clickbait clickbait is just garbage stuff on the internet that has nothing to do with journalism you know you know I understand what you're saying and technically that's true, but I don't think everybody that uses that is just trying to automatically like a, you know, like a PR firm is trying to pop the, to you know, undercut somebody or undermine somebody or, or hurt their credibility. So whatever they've done, um, people are going to see it in a different way. And they're trying to skew the perspective, skew the perspective. I, I totally understand that. But getting back to the, the idea of this agenda it, 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 it's just self-preservation. It's we take pride in your work. We want to be good journalists and we want the, the company we work for to, to survive. Right. And so the decisions get made. I mean, there is the public trust idea. Okay. We're going to go cover this because it's important and we're not going to worry about how many people uh, click on this or buy a subscription or whatever. And then there's plenty of other stuff, probably most stuff that we say, all right, we're going to write about this in such a way or this person going to do this because they are skilled in that area because we think that that'll have an audience. Right. So of course yeah. we do that. You know, that doesn't mean what we favor Michigan over Michigan state. It does mean, it does mean that in the fall, if say Michigan is, I mean, let's just say this Michigan's winning and Michigan state struggling or vice versa. 
as the season moves on, we might shift our resources a little bit, not because we care about one or the other. We try and we try to be fair and down the line. And we, we even look at, okay, we've covered this, this much. We need to do this. Those conversations happen all the time, but it is still a business. And, you know, readers generally want to read more about winning teams. They will read about losing teams, especially when there were expectations, but they will only do that for so long. And then they start to lose interest in you, especially if it's year over year over year, right? You and I talked about this the other night when we were talking about this podcast. Like, how much should we cover the Tigers when they start to lose? What about the Wings when they're rebuilding for three, four years? How often do we go to those games, right? What's the interest? What can we come up with? I mean, these are just, to me, I hate to say it because it sounds crass, but it's true. In some ways, they're business decisions. It's not an agenda to promote any viewpoint or world point or worldview. It's just we want to be relevant with what people want to read about. You know, that's absolutely true. And, and you know, the, the there are economic realities to how we cover things and how much we don't have. We don't have unlimited resources. You know, we have to be judicious about where we spend our money, why, when. Um, I, I was looking at Twitter today and Jeff Seidel wrote a column uh, about a prospect. I think it was and someone he responded to someone on Twitter and they said, uh, you know, why isn't this free or this should be free? And he's like, he responded like, well, did you ever go to the newsstand and expect to get a free newspaper? You know, I mean, I, I think the Internet, you know, when 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 everybody started putting their stuff on the Internet at the beginning, you know, it was a free medium, really. Yeah, that's news. our fault, by the way. Right. It we is set, our fault. We it set was, that up. We absolutely. Set that up. It was a mistake and it was a problem in the industry for a long time that was that was strongly debated for you know more than a decade ago. Um, beyond that though, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing is people even now don't want to pay for journalism. So where are the resources coming from, you know, and we can get it. I don't want to get into a whole long history of, you know, advertising dollars and the breakdown and all this stuff and how that's changed. But, but we have to make decisions about how we cover stuff. And Sean, you and I talk about this a lot and, uh, yeah, I mean, people tend to, definitely get excited. I mean, if you're a fan and you're listening to this, there's no question that I hope you would agree that when a team is winning and they have great players and all that, there's going to be just more natural excitement over whatever it is, guys who are hitting home runs and whatever, you know, I mean, you know, in Tampa Bay right now, they're probably, you know, selling more tickets because, you know, Isak Paredes hit three home runs the other day, you know, let's go see Paredes hit. He's, you know, whatever it is, people get excited by the, you know, Otani, all these things. Um, but as a fan, I do admit, I mean, I'm an LA Kings fan and, you know, I subscribe to the LA times and I'm disappointed that when they're not doing well, they don't cover them as much. You know, that's my, one of my few outlets for, uh, learning about the, the LA Kings. So like, Oh, I, and I know sometimes, outlets are quick to cut the cord and say, all right, this, this team is not going anywhere. And sometimes it's personal preference of uh, an editor in charge doesn't care about hockey. So let's forget but it's about usually the science, right? Carlos, it's usually numbers. It's usually math. We it has see, become, we can yeah. see that by the hour, right? That's the great thing about uh, the metrics that we have now, you know, most big news outlets have these, you know, up to the nanosecond metrics that tell you what people are interested in. And that guides, helps guide our coverage. It, no, it, it, it really does. I want to, before we move on and uh, welcome Lindsay, and I also want to make another observation point. And I wanted, I'm curious what you think about this, kind of getting back to this. Another thing I hear all the time, and I know you do too, 
is this idea that well, we're not going to be critical because we're afraid we're going to lose our access. Well, it, it doesn't work like that. Teams are not going to bar you from, you know, how radical that would be to bar a reporter from a news conference, from a practice facility, from a, you, you would have to do something almost illegal or, or immoral, right. To, yeah. to, to get to that point, being critical is not, is never going to do that now, 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 now that might not, that might keep you out of, individual conversations with people that run teams or coach teams in their offices, right? You might not be able to build relationships in the same way. If you're not fair, I mean, that just stands to reason that's human nature, but it's not You're not going to lose access. But I, I was thinking about this the other day, Carlos, because Kevin Durant, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets superstar, one of the probably most famous athletes in this country had a, has a podcast and, you know, Draymond Green, former Michigan State great, plays with the Gold, Gold State Warriors. He has a podcast. A lot of players have podcasts and there's, they refer to him as new media, we're old media, legacy media, whatever. But Kevin Durant on his podcast the other day was talking about how hurt he was because of relationships that he thought he had when he was a Golden State Warrior with the media there. And he named a couple of reporters in particular that he said we would have these conversations in the hallways after games or after practices or whatever. And Kevin Durant actually said, I thought to a, about a couple of reporters, I thought he was my friend. And then they turn around and they're critical of him. Not, and I saw the criticism. They, it, it was more than fair. It was just kind of wondering. It was the last year Durant was there with the Warriors and he was wanted to go off into free agency. And it was a prickly time for a team that got a lot of national attention. But he, he said he was hurt and they learned his lesson. And he's like, I thought we were friends. And I've had a couple of people I cover say that to me in the past. You know, I thought we were friends and I've had to explain we can be friendly, right? I can respect things you do. You can do the same if you want. But when you say friends, I, I'm like, are we going to go out to dinner? Unless it's, you know, I'm going to take notes. Are we going to go have a beer together? A glass of wine together? No, we're not. We're not allowed to. That that that's their rules and guidelines set up in our business. But I was curious what you thought about that. This was just two a couple of days ago, by the way. Durant said this. He was really stung by that. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly about the context of that and who he was talking about, but but it is I, interesting. I can tell yeah. you if you want. No, I mean I, you don't have to do that, but but it is everyone's different, you know. And I don't know. It sounds like what Durant was talking about is loyalty. You know, like. He thought he, through his, you know, friendship or closeness to certain reporters, he expected them to not be critical. Like that was sort of, I guess, uh, understood or, or, you know, uh, implied in that relationship that why would you be critical? And, and if you think that the criticism was fair um, and it's hard, you know, we we do get to know these players um, over time and and coaches or whoever it might be. And it's. uh it can be hard. You have to make that decision of when is it right um, to criticize somebody, you know, and sometimes, you know, that, that can be a sticky situation when, when you had, when you've had a relationship, not necessarily a friendship, I've been to your house or whatever, you know, but a relationship, a working relationship. Um, and Actually, let's be let's be honest. I mean, if people don't understand how this works, I, I hope they do already. But there are certain players and coaches and, and executives who help you out. There are sources, you know, it's off the record stuff or it's just a source. And it's not necessarily like this breaking news or scoop, but just a little bit of context to, hey, by the way, this person wasn't 
practicing for this reason, or there's some marital things going on. Yeah, it helps you understand, right? It helps gives, you understand. Gives you context. Part of the job. You don't report it a lot. 90% of the stuff you hear in locker rooms and from other players and stuff and coaches, you don't report. And you never know. You have to take it with a grain of salt about, you know, is this helping their own cause or whatever. But you hear a lot of stuff. And sometimes over time, you you develop relationships and trust with these players. Um, and maybe that's what Durant was getting at, that he had trust with some of these you know, uh, reporters and he felt he had helped them out with some information. Um, and he felt like he was betrayed I, in some way. I don't even think it was information. It was just this idea of building a relationship and what's expected. And, and, and I want to finish up with this, if that's all right. I, and you and I talked a long time about this recently. One, one of the most, one of the biggest lessons I learned when I first started writing columns, you know, I, I've, I've always been aware of the, of the power sometimes of, of what we do. I shouldn't say power, but but just how how people connect with it sometimes. But oh, it's it, it's power, right? And I don't think about that way in some ways. But but to me, and I was a medical writer for a long time, and I would be in an operating room watching a two year old get a heart transplant, and I would write about it in a way, and it would go out, and people might react to it in a certain way, and it might influence or help somebody. I always thought of things that way because I was a takeout writer, feature writer, news writer. I started as a, a news beat writer, but for so long. But then you get into writing columns, Carlos, and it's and it's different. I remember one of the one of the early first columns I wrote was about Dominic Royola, and you and I have talked about this. And he was struggling with uh, some interactions with some fans, and he was taking some heat. And I wrote a column critical of, like, "Hey, you've been around the league long enough. You need to. You, he's got to show a little bit more restraint." I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but in that column, I referred to him as a dunderhead. I think I don't know if I said he was dunderheaded or maybe a dunderhead which is sort of a dumb word to begin with on my part. But I was trying not to say idiot because to me, that's a little bit too, <laughs> too harsh. Right. So I thought I was trying to get the point across in any, in any case, he got so mad that the Lions set up a meeting with me and Dominic Rayola to, to hash it out. And I met him on the practice field and he, he saw me and literally his face started to turn red. He could barely speak to me. He was so mad. This is a big, big dude. Right. And Matthew Stafford was nearby and like, said, hey, hey, just, you know, it's not worth it, meaning I, I wasn't worth it, which I wasn't, and that's totally fine. The next week I saw him, or two weeks later, next week I saw him in Pittsburgh. It was one of the first road trips I was on with the Lions, and he came up and said he was sorry, and I said I, I was too. But in any case, Carlos, he didn't care that I called him out for his behavior, right? I mean, maybe he did, but he wasn't mad about that. He wasn't mad that I was being critical because on some level he probably knew, hey, I got to quit flipping. Would you flip the fans off or whatever he did? What he cared about was that I, I basically called him a name and I, I hadn't done that before and I haven't done it since. And I thought there are ways to get the point across and say what you think in your opinion without name calling or doing something like that. And um, that that instance let me, it reminded me, not reminded me, it showed me, my God, you know, these words do have a life after they leave your fingers. And it's important to remember that. It is. And you have to, you know, one of the things that, uh, that you have to, whenever I write, one of the things I, I always think about is, you know, whatever I'm writing something, when it's significant, when it's a, a critical thing or whatever, am I willing to defend this in person? Because one of the things that Drew Sharp taught me was, as we all know, Drew was, he could be very critical and strong in his opinion. But one of the things he always, he told me was, Every time I write something critical of somebody, I make sure I'm in the locker room the next day, the next time that there's availability so that they can come up to me if they have a problem 
And people did come up to him and had problems and he talked to, to talk to them. And I think that's, that's what you need to have. And, and the way I've always thought about that is if I'm going to write something strong, you know, I'm going to have my say, and I'm going to try to see you the next time as soon as I can, and you can have your say. And I've had, I've had arguments with people. I've had, you know, I've crossed swords with players and coaches and, you know, whatever executives about things. Um, you know, and I think, I think you have to be willing to defend it, you know, and you do. that's the, that's the key, you, it, do. It, you know, name calling. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, I know Dom and, you know, I would, I would have called him a dunderhead if you didn't. And I'd be very happy to defend that. And Dom and I had our little things over the years too, you know, and he, he banned me from his locker a few times. So it's not like he, I wasn't used to it, but um, you know, if he's going to, if he's going to try, try to take the moral high ground on flipping off fans, but you're calling him a dunderhead over it. I mean, that's no, I'd I, I, see, but I don't relate it like that. I don't think about it. I mean, he can do what he wants. I can, I can be critical. But I, 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 there's no reason for me to do that. I can be just as critical and make the point when I need to be without resort to that. So that's for me, not, oh, well, he can do that. I can do that. No, I don't, I don't like to think sure. about life like that at all. That's for me, for my own peace. You know what I mean? In any case, look, we could, we could sit here and bore our listeners to death with another, <laughs> with another. Oh, people love this. People love oh, the behind the scenes. See, oh, there you are. The curtains, Pat, there you are. Pat, the drama. I'm gonna I'm gonna come pat you on the back so you can stop patting yourself on the back so much. How about that? I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I, I think I mentioned it to you before. You know, we've talked about this one time. This is years ago. I mentioned something. I tweeted something or whatever, and I used the word drama. Like I don't even know what the context was of. It was just a one word and a tweet. As in, about, Carlos is creating his own drama. Yeah, for, something for like that. It was. It was like, yeah, let's not let's stay away from drama or whatever it was. Oh my God, everybody jumped on. What drama? What's going on? Is there something going on? What's happening in the locker room? What? Oh, it was just like, you know, like I was like, what? It was just one, the word drama was some kind of a trigger point for these people. So uh, they love to hear it. They love to know because it's very, people still don't really know how we do our jobs, you know, and they would be very surprised about it. Um, so I, I think we do need to have more of these conversations. I like to involve the readers more. Um, I do too. I do so, too. It's and and when I go to you know when I see fans out at you know games or whatever it might be training camp I love to talk to them I love to stop and talk and let's chat you know and ask me questions about the team about a man of the people you're a man of the people absolutely how is Sean Windsor really that cool in person no yeah. no, no you're a man of the people you know you're like Jesus right that way <laughs> if there is a Jesus I mean I'm just saying for the for the folks that may not think there is that's cool. No, <laughs> look, man, look, man. Okay, the, the, we'll, we'll, we'll sprinkle this uh, down the road. Well, we'll get we'll sprinkle this in a little bit down the road. How about that? Yeah, let's come back to it. We'll, co we'll come back to it. We need to get the Lindsey Green and uh, the James Beard Award, and then um, you know we'll go from there. We'll get to your favorite thing, which of course will be your, yourself. I would imagine. <laughs> Maybe you'll surprise me. I don't know. All right, we'll be right back with more free press sports with Carlos and Sean. My name is Kerry Jr. The second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts, and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, or they be in Petoskey, or whether it be in Birmingham, 
Warren Grove Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, um, it's nice to have Lindsey Greenback, right? She she we, classes up the joint, Sean. That's that's why we have Lindsey on. It's just, you know, our our rough hewn manner needs a little bit of softening and uh, and culture. So that's why we always we break. She's like the nice facade, the sheen that we add to this program. No, I know, but as we talked about in the first section, seeing you at Rouge uh, at Rouge Park in Detroit last week. The way you were decked out, the moose in your hair. I know moose is sort of an 80s thing, but come on, you man, were, moose. You were you were sharp, man. What am I? Am I popping my collar wearing my members only Jack moose, bro? Come on. I, I mean, I know you don't have as much Gel. to work with as I do. Gel. But- yeah, it's it's a blend of a little bit of paste and a little bit of gel. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Gel. Gel. Yeah. Don't denigrate yourself like that. Uh, but you're right. Uh, she definitely she definitely classes it up. All right. Let's let's get to Lindsay. Lindsay, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me, as usual. Yeah, it's always fun. So so we wanted to talk to you, but today about a few things. But I'd like to start with, if it's okay with Carlos, I always have to get permission for him, of course. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to start with this. Um, with the the Warda Patisserie and the and the James Beard Award yeah. that went to uh, its owner, uh, I'll let you uh, I'll let you say her Warda Warda's name if that's okay. Sorry to dump that on you, but just <laughs> just just yeah. What you what you think of that? It's a big deal. I think I read in your your piece yeah. that it was what almost thirty years at least. Yep, almost thirty years, to... twenty nine years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge deal. And, you know, I don't know if I'm much better than you at this, but I think it's Warda Bugataya is how you say her name. Um, but yeah, it's a huge, huge deal. And, you know, so the last time that um, uh, a chef won the James Beard Award locally, um, that was for tribute. Um, that was Takashi. Wow, now I'm all tongue tied. <laughs> that was Takashi Yagihashi, I think is how you say his name. Um, I might also be butchering that, so forgive me. But uh, he ran um, a really acclaimed restaurant in Farmington Hills called Tribute uh, years ago. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the year was for uh, when he won the James Beard Award for Best Chef um, for the Great Lakes region. Uh, So that was the last time. Um, someone won, but that wasn't Detroit proper. You know, that was, um, you know, Metro Detroit. So that was a suburban, suburban town. Um, and before that, it was a chef at the Rattlesnake Club, which was back in, I, I guess that would be the, I think it was 84. Now my math is all wrong, but yeah. it was 29 years ago. Um, so it's something? a huge, huge deal for her. And if, if, you know, this is something I didn't mention in the story just because I haven't completely fact-checked it, but if I'm right, I think she would be the first woman to win a James Beard Award uh, in Detroit, which is just, it's huge. Uh, so I'm really, really happy for her. It's a huge honor. Well, well, Carlos would probably attest to this. I mean, Carlos, like, you like baked goods, right? She's a baker, which she to is. me, yeah. right, 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 Carlos. So, and, and from my uh, amateur amateur perspective you know i like to i like to cook as a hobby but baking to me is a different a, a different kind of a thing right i mean it's it's, it's, a, it's a more wire act yeah and it's a lot more science not to say there's not art there there's tremendous art there but it 
they combined, you know, the, the best bakers uh, combined the different aspects. And I think that's amazing. But yeah, but just the, 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 the what's happening and what that w- w- award represents is, uh, I'm, I'm with you, Lindsay, it's really incredible. But just can you describe to us what her place is like and what it's like to eat in her and kind of bite into some of these uh, heavenly creations? Oh, man. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, she's got a space in Midtown. Um and it's kind of a it's kind of a small space, but it's very beautiful. It's well lit, so you just kind of feel like you're in this really cool environment. Um, she's got just like a you know the pastry shelf is filled with. I mean, every every single time I go, I think I spend probably fifty dollars because I cannot make up my mind. It's like, okay, do I want something sweet? Do I want something savory? I want both. Do I want a cookie or do I want a pastry? Both, obviously. I'll get it for my husband. I always have the intention of giving it to my husband and then I eat it myself. So, I mean, just, you know, she really masters the craft in all of it. She's really famous for the maritosi, which is this uh, like Italian bun. It's brioche uh, and it's filled with cream. It's filled with, um, I think it's mascarpone. Um, and, you know, I don't typically really love sweet, like overly sweet things. And so I'm always a little nervous when things are, you know, filled with cream because they just tend to be really, really sweet and really messy. It's perfect. It's just the perfect amount of cream. It's not overly sweet by any means. It's just delicious. And she's got uh, two different flavors. There's one I think is vanilla and the other is um, hazelnut. They're both amazing. She's got great coffees that I want to say the beans um, are... are um, Algerian. She's she's Algerian, so I think that she um, sources from you know um, African uh, African countries, I believe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just truly, everything there is amazing. Her quiches are the best. They're so just kind of fluffy and creamy. I, I'm typically also not a big fan of quiches because they can just be, um, you know, like sometimes they can be a little dry or they can be, you know, too much crust. She has just the perfect, creamy, delicious quiche. It's it's all so good. <laughs> I like how you don't like any of the food that she makes, but she makes it so well <laughs> that you actually love it. Um, it's true. Yeah. Well, that's someone who can convert, you know, uh, uh, someone to the other side, you know, to me, when I go out and eat and, and, you know, Sean's an expert cook, as he'll tell you almost as good of a cook as a basketball coach, but no, no, um, no, no. as anybody who does any amateur cooking at home, I I do a little bit of it, you know, how is that what you call it, Carlos? I would see even below amateur. It's like (laughs) rank, you know, criminal cooking, but, uh, you know how hard it is to bake, you know, the precision that it takes one little thing, one little thing goes wrong, the measurement, the time, whatever it is, it's all screwed up. So whenever, whenever we go out to dinner, I always try to order any kind of like fancy dessert or baked goods or whatever it is. Cause it's like, I'm not making this at home. And that's my, that's my one rule is I order stuff that I can't make. Um, but I, I did, I did want to ask you, Lindsay, just um, for people who may not understand the significance of the James Beard Award. What does that mean to somebody to win a James Beard Award? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, it's a huge, huge recognition. Um, it, so the James Beard Awards are basically, you know, one of the most prestigious awards in food. Um, they sort of rank, you know, restaurants and chefs, but they also do the James Beard uh, Media Awards. So you'll see James Beard Awards for journalists and and broadcast journalists, things like that. Um, it's just it 
I don't even really know how to even um, articulate it even more than that. It just is, it is one of the highest um, recognitions that you can get in food. So it's a huge, huge deal. And that's why there are so few, you know, here in, in Detroit and in Michigan overall um, that have won James Beard Awards. So it's, it's, it's monumental for sure. Have you noticed, uh, or have you talked to Water rather about her business since this since this came out? Has it changed her business? You know, I haven't talked to her since the win. I actually did reach out and didn't get a response, and probably because she's swamped at this point. Um, I know Sue on our team, our the Free Press food writer. Um, she did. She got out there and she had a maritosi, um, and I think she said it was it was pretty busy. This was shortly after after the win, so. Um, yeah, I, I imagine that she is completely slammed. Um, people are really just flocking to the space. Well, I know it doesn't have the effect of, uh, the, the diners drives, drives and dive ins or excuse <laughs> me, diners dives. And am I, I can't even say that. What's the, what's the matter with me? <laughs> diners, drive-ins yeah. and dives. <laughs> dives. Guy, Guy Fieri's show from, uh, from food network. I, I, I have read stories that when that crew shows up, they warn the people ahead of time mm-hmm. to be prepared for the onslaught after it airs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some folks just, you know, it, it overwhelms them. But I, I, I think the James Beard award probably has a, a similar effect, right? Yeah, I think what we'll probably see are out of towners coming in to check it out. You know, I think once you start to get these types of awards, you start to um, uh, garner attention from, you know, neighboring cities, neighboring states. But also, I think people people really do travel across the country to experience a James Beard Award winning restaurant, bakery, chef, whatever it is. Um, So I imagine that we'll we'll see that. Yeah. So when, how many more months until we can get in there actually, till we get a reservation now that it's, uh, <laughs> I guess it's a good problem to have, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's a bakery, so I think you'll probably just have to stand in line for a while. <laughs> and can you order stuff to go? I mean, is it, yeah. do they do that kind of business? For sure. Yeah. A lot of times I might just run in and, you know, grab a box of pastries and take it home. Um, the seating area is pretty small. So, um, you know, a lot of people do end up taking it to go. Well, it's definitely a feather in the cap for the Detroit food scene and, and, you know, the Southeastern Michigan food scene, obviously we're talking about the history and how long it's been and going back to tribute um, for the area. And by the way, that chef Takashi opened up a couple of places called, you probably know this, right? I assume uh, slurping turtle and, and Sam, my youngest son, I'm sorry, listener. Uh, I introduced him to the, to the panel here before that we started recording he cooked there and learned how to make noodles and so on and so forth and and really enjoyed it. And I think I think Takashi opened one in Chicago. In fact, I know he did. I've eaten there. It's, it's been a while. But I was just my, my question is thinking about him and then going further back to the Rattlesnake Club. I want to say his name was Jimmy Schmidt. Yes, that's correct. And, and I can remember in those days, you know, everybody got dressed. It's something people don't get dressed up to go out to eat. They do still some. But in those days, that's exactly what you had to do, right? It, you, you put on a suit or a, a dress or whatever, and then you were served plates that looked like paintings, you know, or or there was verticality on them and they were stacked up. And I, I'm just curious, from your perspective, your thoughts on how much the food scene has changed. Just kind of thinking about the way we eat out. I know you write about this too in in, in the city, and we can get into that in a minute. But just just your your perspective on some of that. Yeah, you know, I've only been here now for five years, probably this month. 
Um, so I can really only speak to how much it's changed since I've been here and, and it's dramatically changed since I've been here, you know? And so I can only imagine, um, how different things are from, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or, or, you know, (laughs) when the rattlesnake club won, that was back in the eighties and the nineties. So, um, dramatically. And actually, uh, uh, um, I wrote about this, um, last week, was it last week? Yeah. Last week I wrote about a new, um, cocktail bar that opened downtown from the owners of Savannah blue. It's called Willow. Um, and the owner actually, um, talked about that a lot. He talked about how, you know, back when they opened Savannah blue, um, Woodward was kind of like, you could roll his, his, his expression was you could roll a bowling ball down, uh, Woodward Avenue and, and it wouldn't hit anything. So, um, you know, I think he said it best that that the dining scene really has changed dramatically, um, even just since, you know, since they opened up. Well, if, if I can real quickly, Carl, so the other point I want to make about thinking about the tribute in particular with Takashi was and how formal that place was. And then going to the Slurping Turtle, which were right. And I should have specified this. They were ramen. Uh, well, the, it's still open in, in Ann Arbor, the location in the Chicago location closed. But but he leaned into that less formal um, sort of idea. It was a combination of Japanese street food off the grill and, you know, little skewers and octopus and, and yakitori and all that sort of thing, and along with ramen and sushi and so forth. But you go into those joints now and people are in T-shirts, right? So I, I think of that. The, the food, the sophistication of the food hasn't changed. But the, the way we uh, dress and think about dining out and, and the casual nature has really, really changed to me. You know, I, I'm I'm actually happy you said that. And I think that we should probably talk about this in another episode. I would love to do a story on dress code. It's something I've been talking about a lot. Um, it came up in, in a story that I wrote recently and people had, you know, it's kind of just a small mention and people had some really strong opinions about dress code in the dining room and whether, you know, men should be wearing hats or women should be wearing hats or, you know, flip-flops and that whole thing is just a conversation. But I think the fact that we're able to have that conversation um, in Detroit just kind of speaks to the fact that the narrative is shifting, right? I think that, you know, years ago, we probably were talking about you know, fast casual versus fine dining. Whereas now we have so many options that now the conversation is just sort of advancing. You know, I think, I think our, our dining scene is becoming a little bit more mature, um, that we're able to start talking about some different, different subjects now, which is, which is pretty cool. I think. Well, Lindsay, you're, you're way too young for this, but I mean, Sean was referencing the eighties, you know, when he was back in his, I think he was in his maybe 50s or 60s at the time wearing a monocle and tuxedo and he looked like Mr. Monopoly. I, th- I think Sean might have, he may have missed that time, right, Sean? You missed those days, the, the dressing up? Well, I had, I had hair then, I would say that. <laughs> but you wore your top hat on top of it. So that, those no, are the no, hats you're talking I, about, I, right, Lindsay? I never, uh, I was never, I never enjoyed that part of it. I just like the, the food. It's just, it's a lot less stuffy. I think a lot of people would tell you. But anyway, go, go ahead, Carlos. No, no, that that's a great conversation, Lindsay. We do need to have that. I look forward to that article, actually, because that's that's exactly the thing that makes people. And then, what do you do with the hipster who kind of has that dress up but casual vibe and does wear a nice hat? You know, is that you're talking about baseball caps? I'm sure, but uh, or whatever beanies and stuff. Um, yeah. So that's that's a really good, really good conversation to have. 
It is. And it's really interesting because I think you have to make the rule across the board, right? Because of that fact, you know, if the hipster is wearing the fedora and so-and-so or the church lady is wearing the church hat and so-and-so is, you know, wearing the baseball cap, who do you say is not allowed? You know, I think you have to make the rule, you know, across the board, which is interesting. And I think it could be a cool conversation even just for your audience of sports fans, right? Like, you know, if you're just leaving a game, <laughs> right, and you've got your swag on, uh, who's going to tell you, hey, you can't come in here? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, when Sean was uh, when he was a young man in his early 50s, too, he when he used to go to hockey games, he used to dress up in three piece suits. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that was right. That was the th- I, I love watching those old black and white, the footage of old games and stuff, <laughs> hockey, whatever it was. Uh, people dressed up. I mean, it was always and and at some point that ended. You know, and people, it went to more casual and now it's jeans, jeans. If you're wearing flip flops right? and, and cut off shorts now, I think uh, you're dressed up in some of these occasions. So, uh, yeah, taste change, you know, sartorial, uh, you know, uh, trends, whatever it might be. So that's 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 a great thing to delve into. But I I, de- I don't know if we have to take a, sh- a break, Sean, but I definitely want to get into Willow with uh, with Lindsay. Well, I think we can we can talk about that real quick uh, uh, because she referenced it earlier. So go ahead, Carlos. What well, Lindsay just had a fascinating piece uh, recently, a few days ago, um, about yet another speakeasy that has an interesting tie, right? Because of the bartender, I, and I want to know how if that's connected. Does he only work at speakeasies, or or what's the deal with him? Uh, does he just gravitate towards them? But it was such an interesting. It was a very interesting piece. I'll let you talk about it, Lindsay. But Andre Sykes to me. When you got to point, um, who's the in charge of the 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 bar or what what would you call him beverage manager? Um yeah, that it, he was such an interesting, interesting character. Um I'd like to know more about him, but but tell us what the piece was about. Yeah, no, Andre really is interesting. And actually, Carlos, that's funny that you say that. I never drew the connection that Shelby is also a speakeasy and so is Willow. Like you just, I, <laughs> a light bulb just went off in my brain. I don't know how I didn't make that connection. You write, you write, you've written like 50 pieces in the last two months. So it's like. <laughs> it's true. It's hard to keep up. Um, yeah, so Willow is, um, so it's from the owners of Savannah Blue. Um, Savannah Blue is a downtown Detroit restaurant. They've been serving sort of, you know, an upscale approach to soul food. They're kind of on the second floor of their space. And so Willow is occupying the ground floor. But what's cool about it is that you have to enter around back. Um, there's a gold door, a ring doorbell, um, and you kind of, you know, ring the bell and, and they let you in. You kind of go through these curtains for this kind of dramatic reveal. So it's a pretty cool space. Um, but there are a few cool um, uh, talking points about them. And one is that, um, you know, we talked about the James Beard Awards a little bit. And this is a fully sort of James Beard Award nominated team, which I think is pretty cool. Um, both uh, the ownership. So um, J.D. Simpson, who I mentioned earlier with the bowling ball reference, uh, he's one of the co-owners of Savannah Blue and also now now Willow. Um, they were just nominated for a James Beard Award um, this year. Um, they 
made it to the semifinalist round um, for Outstanding Restaurateur, which is pretty cool. And then obviously Andre Sykes, who's heading up the beverage department um, or the beverage program, I should say. He also led Shelby, which was one of our 10 best new restaurants, um, to uh, the, did they make it to the finalist round? I think it was the semifinalist round of the James Beard Awards uh, for Outstanding Bar Program. So um, yeah, just a really great team that's doing a really cool thing. So the second talking point is that it's it's Black-owned. And so it's the first Black-owned uh, craft cocktail bar in the city of Detroit, which feels kind of way overdue, right? But um, for a city like Detroit in particular, uh, but it's it's a pretty cool thing that they're doing there. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds great. You're right. That's a very important point. And um, I, I, before we let you go, do you have any quick uh, recommendations? Hmm. Let's see. So I actually just had dinner at Bar Pigal. It's um. It is in Brush Park in Detroit. Uh, they just opened up, so they're you know just getting started. But um, had a really great experience. Uh, really great food. It's kind of um elevated fine um sorry elevated French uh French cuisine. Um, but it's really cool. It's kind of like an intimate environment. The food was delicious. The drinks were great. So um, that one was a was a nice experience. Bar Picol? Pigal, P-I-G-A-L-L-E. Pigal. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that sounds delicious. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so, so much for spending time with us again. We, uh, we will definitely have you back so we can talk more about what Carlos wants to talk about, because and that is wearing flip-flops wherever he wants to <laughs> in whatever kind of restaurant. Which, I you know, that. Yeah, that, that, that'd be great. Okay. We cool. will... Thank uh, you, guys. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. Thanks so much again. We will have Lindsay on again uh, later this summer, and Carlos and I will be right back to talk about our favorite thing. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter letter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, it's time for the favorite thing. You usually go first. Would uh, it be okay, humbly, if I did? Of course. Anytime. Okay. I just I wanted to ask you, are the boss, you are the, uh, you, <laughs> excuse me, I can't believe I'm coughing. It's probably because I'm having a dark time saying this it's the carlos and sean show right so as long as you don't forget that you can go first no okay all right um look we talked about this at the at the the top of the podcast when we kind of got into the sausage making business you should say just a little bit behind the scenes of what we do we i think i mentioned we were going to talk about aj hinch and his contract which we did not um but i will encourage readers you're writing about that right or have written about that or something I'm uh, we're, I'm planning to write about it, but it has not been written yet. Okay, okay. So you may or may not write about that. If not, we'll we'll, we'll get to it. But but the one the other thing we said we we're going to talk about is the NBA draft, and we did not in that process because you know we're egomaniacs and we want to make it all about ourselves. 
but 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 in all seriousness just for my favorite thing we'll we'll get to the draft for a second i um as you know because i saw you there carlos looking like and i don't think i mentioned this right you were said uh, i had moose on in my hair i did i did i did i thought we talked about the first of the um in the first segment of it, I guess we didn't. So that just, what kind of memory is that of mine? I'm, forgive me for listeners that are confused, but maybe you're not because you know I'm all over the place. In any case, my favorite thing real quickly, Carlos, was uh, was being at the Rouge Park in Detroit on Friday, the night or the day after the draft, where the Pistons introduced Jalen Duran and Jaden Ivey. They're two rookies, and Troy Weaver was there, and Dwayne Casey was there. And um, and what I liked about, it, I mean, the, the setup was fun, and it was a promotion for the community efforts of Tom Gore's and the organizations and the, what the Pistons do, trying to reach out and connect with the community through NBA stuff too, and and that was great. But but what I really enjoyed was, and you felt it a little bit draft night, but that day, that next day, Carlos, just the, I was trying to think about this. When's the last time there was that much kind of anticipation and buzz for for Detroit, one of the four four big teams? You know, it's it's been a while, and it's not that you you mentioned earlier in the in the first segment. You know, you're a fan of the Kings, and it's not that you're a fan of these teams. I'm not a fan, but we, we live here, we live in these communities, and it's fun to feel the buzz. I mean, it's better for us too, for in terms of writing, like we talked about. But it's fun to feel that electricity, that vibe, because we don't get it very often, and we haven't had. We've had very very little of it here in the last ten years. So, I just I just enjoyed that. It it was fun to see people kind of to jacked up and amped up. And, um, I, I, I think, uh, well, I mean, who knows where it'll go, but I just wanted to, I wanted to say that Carlos, we're not robots. We are aware when people respond to something and they get excited about something because ultimately this is what sports, that's part of what sports can be about, you know, take you away from yourself a little bit into something larger. So there you go. I don't know what you're talking about. You're like, when's the last time there was so much excitement since they drafted Aiden Hutchinson, like a month ago, you were, I think you were like uh, talking about, you know, Super Bowl for the Lions. No, 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 that wasn't me. And Aiden Hutchinson, no, he's a great player, but that's different. The, the, the night that the night that Troy Weaver had, the general manager, and getting two lottery picks and the, the way Ivy kind of fell to the fifth pick with the, the Kings taking Keegan Murray, just the way it all played out, people are so – I don't think anybody was expecting that. Everybody knew they were going to take Hutchinson. That's, that's, that's just because – it's just because you love basketball. You don't – you. You grudgingly pay attention to all the other sports, but uh, no, 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 no. Okay, what what's your favorite thing other than well, one thing? Uh, I will Carlos. say one, one little thing about your favorite thing that is, I will give you credit being at Rouge Park. This is actually a brilliant move that every other team should copy. The Lions, everything. Whenever they introduce their draft pick, do it at a community event. They had a lot of it was an army of Pistons employees there wearing all these shirts and well, the boys and, and girls club kids and right? the boys and girls club. It was a whole community event. That's what made it different and feel it felt really special and everything. Um, and obviously they had a great night with the draft. So that, that definitely helped, but I would say it as much of kind of a pain in the butt, it was to cover it there instead of a press conference and an oh, air yeah, conditioned you had to, you had place. to drive for that, 30 minutes. I'm sorry. It added a different nuance to it. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I would, I would recommend that they, that other teams maybe, you know, copy that for their, for the PR. And by the PR. way, you, you like the emotion. We didn't talk about this earlier. You like the emotion Jaden Ivey showed. When Arm tell him, um, who was a, an executive with the Pistons, brought out Jade Ivey's grandfather's jersey. They had a, a lion who played for the Lions. Uh, Hunter Hunter is his last name. Is James Hunter? James Hunter. Sorry, and and he broke down 
when he when he saw that jersey. I, I like that vulnerability and that that realness. I don't know what that will mean. I don't really care career. about that stuff. I don't care how much people cry. That's that's their business. It doesn't mean anything. You cry, you're you're a human. That's awesome for you. Some people are just more emotional than others. You know, it's just it's the way it is. Yeah. You know? Well, no, it doesn't I, mean I, anything. It means a lot, actually. Troy and does I. It? Troy, yeah, I think it does. Troy Weaver and I were talking about that. It'll be in a column. I'd be, I'd be happier to have Indomik and Sue who would just like to, you know, rip the soul out of your spine. But, you know, he's kind of a mean guy, but he's a great player. No, that but that vulnerability, that that it, it, it's it great shows for a certain writers, kind of right. It's, no, it's not. It shows a passion. And they knew that about no, him. It, right? it, it, yeah, it does. It shows that he wants to be here and he, he cares. Was Indomik and Sue passionate? He played. Uh, not always. I mean, yeah, no, he, he wasn't. He, he was crazy. Yeah, he was crazy passionate in a different way yeah and he divided the locker room and there was an issue and there were all sorts of other stuff i mean right it's just it was, was fine when it it was fine when he was past his prime a little bit it didn't matter and he was around tom brady and everything else but it, but he absolutely affected that locker room in other ways that have to do with winning yes. but anyway this is the favorite thing and we don't want to get off <laughs> I, I i don't have time to explain team yeah, well, sports and human nature to you today speaking of crying andrew hammond our producer is crying right now he's like oh, i'm gonna have to trim more stuff now okay Sorry about that. We'll we'll let poor Andrew. You got 30 seconds. <laughs> All right. My favorite thing, I will do it in 30 seconds, is Rocket Mortgage Classic Media Day, your favorite sport, golf, Sean. They had it on Monday. I don't know why you weren't there, but I was there uh, along with some of our other uh, great journalists. Uh, and I got to play with our with our team free. We got to play a little scramble at Detroit Golf Club with uh, Marlo Alter, our golf editor, and uh, Tony Garcia, one of our great young, talented reporters. And um, the uh, incomparable Neil Rubin, um, it was it was a blast. It was it was a lot of fun. It was you know great weather, a little windy, but it was it was a beautiful day. And uh, it's just fun to see some colleagues. We when else do you spend five hours with some of your colleagues? You know that it doesn't happen these days with the pandemic and nothing else. And since you won't come out and watch us play softball, you're never going to see us more than a couple no, of I'll hours. I'll come to that, but I'm sure it was nice for them to see you're a human being. That, yeah. That must've been, that well, must have been you nice. know, but it was fun to play golf and see those guys and uh, share some time and some food. And uh, so it was, uh, I wish you'd been there, Sean. That would have been fun. You could have driven the cart or something for us. Uh, yeah, like chauffeur. yeah. 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 Well, I, I do like to chauffeur you around. Well, that's, <laughs> that's nice. That sounds nice, Carlson. That was nice and sweet. And that uh, of course makes Andrew happy. Somebody we need to thank for making this possible, right? Andrew Hammond? Yes. The great producer of this uh, of this whole show? I think so. All yes. right, let's 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 thank Andrew. Who else do we need to thank, Carl? You how know about, who we need to thank. How about Kirkland Crawford? I think we mentioned him earlier, so he should be <laughs> yeah. happy. That's a couple times for him. Who is now. he? What's his title? You have to give his title. He's the sports editor of the Detroit Free Press. He's not quite in the Alginet territory in terms of getting mentioned but uh <laughs> we'll get him up there yeah thanks thanks to kirk crawford the, the, who makes this possible executive producer or one of the co-executive producers how about that of this show along with anjanette delgado and uh we need to thank peter batia the editor of the free press carlos i think uh i think i want to thank you for putting up with me for one more week uh, yeah thank you yeah, my no pleasure sure. No, 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 no. That's uh, that's that's very kind of you to spend some time with me. It's been fun as always. Uh, listen, uh, you can find us the, the Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean wherever you find your favorite podcasts: Spotify, Apple. Um, we keep waiting for that Carlos platform to kick out, kind of like the Trump. Uh, what's the Trump platform? Parlor or whatever. Parlor. Yeah, you're gonna create your own parlor for sports. So I'll call it Carlor. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not bad. Well, on that note, I think we should uh, we should wrap this up so we can uh, have less for Andrew to cut. How about that? Yeah, let's do him a favor. All right, do let's, do a, let's do him a solid, and we will talk to you all next week.